and welcome to tonight's Zoomcast on Isaiah's Prophecy, Chapter 53. Jesus, our God, King, and Savior. And tonight I will be reading both from the Isaiah Institute's translation of Isaiah and also the King James. Starting in verse 1 of Isaiah, Chapter 53. Who has believed our revelation? On whose account has the arm of Jehovah been revealed? Now notice the use of who has believed our revelation. Here, the Lord is speaking jointly with the servant. On whose account has the arm of Jehovah been revealed? The arm of Jehovah is the Lord's end time servant. So, in other words, the Lord is sending his end-time servant for those who will believe in God's revelation, in the revelation of Jesus Christ, or in other words, in the doctrine of Christ. Now, as a cross-reference, Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 10. Hear me, O isles, listen, you distant peoples. Jehovah called me before I was in the belly. Before I was in my mother's womb, he mentioned me by name. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hit me. He has made me into a polished arrow. In his quiver, he kept me secret. Okay. Here we have the Lord's end time servant speaking in first person. And I want to contrast this with a statement made by Joseph Smith in History of the Church, Volume 5, page 401. He said, I am like a huge rough stone rolling down from a high mountain. And the only polishing I get is when some corner gets rubbed off by coming in contact with something else, striking with accelerated force against religious bigotry, priestcraft, lawyercraft, doctorcraft, lying editors, suborned judges, and jurors, the authority of perjured executives, backed by mobs, blasphemers, licentious, and corrupt men and women, all hell knocking off a corner here and a corner there. Thus I will become a smooth and polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty. And reading from the King James Version, Isaiah 49, verse 2. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, Hath he hid me, and hath made me a polished shaft in his quiver, hath he hid me. Going back to the quote in History of the Church. Thus I will become a smooth and polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty. Who will give me dominion over all, every one of them? When their refuge of lies shall fail, and their hiding place shall be destroyed. While these smooth polished stones which I come into contact become marred. Here we have a reference both in Isaiah and a statement by Joseph Smith using the exact same language to the Davidic servant, the end time servant. And Joseph Smith declaring that he is in fact that man. Continuing in Isaiah 49.
And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Okay, here, the end time servant is being called by the name of the people to whom he is to minister. The Jacob-Israel category are the Lord's covenant people. And so there are many different layers that Isaiah can be read on. And the layer that we are primarily dealing with is the layer that refers to the Latter-day Saints, to the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house in preparation for the Exodus. Well, when that's happened, you know, we have another layer of Isaiah, the gathering out of God's people from among the Gentile nation. And once New Jerusalem is established, we have yet another layer to read Isaiah on, the gathering out of Israel from the four corners of the earth. And finally, the redemption of the heathen nations. And so, since um, the times in which we now live um, are this first layer of understanding, how the prophecy of Isaiah refers to the Latter-day Saints and the calling out among the Latter-day Saints of the strength of the Lord's house, first spiritually and then physically for an end-time exodus. And so in verse 3, he said unto me, to the end-time servant, you are my servant, Israel, or those to whom you have been called to gather out and minister in whom I will be glorified. I had thought I have labored in vain. This is the end time servant speaking. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. Yet my cause rested with Jehovah, my recompense with my God. Here is the end time servant reflecting upon his first ministry or Joseph Smith reflecting upon his first ministry when he was discouraged because the saints would not enter into the new and everlasting covenant. They would not, just like the children of Israel before them, offer up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, that they might receive the endowment of power or the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he went to his death with the church, as it says in DNC 124, being rejected with their dead. Verse 4 again. I had thought I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. Yet my cause rested with Jehovah, my recompense with my God. For now Jehovah has said, he who formed me from the womb, to be his servant to restore Jacob to him. This is a reference that he would in fact come again a second time. And that for the fulfillment of the promises that God made to him and all the prophecies that God made about the restoration of his people in the last days would be filled by the hands or would be accomplished by the hands of his servants in the end times. For now Jehovah has said, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant to restore Jacob to him. Israel having been gathered to him, for I won honor in the eyes of Jehovah when my God became my strength. 
He said, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore those preserved of Israel. I will also appoint you to be a light to the nations, that my salvation may be to the end of the earth. All right, salvation, a metaphor for Jesus Christ himself. Or in other words, not only will Joseph return to gather out physically the strength of the Lord's house from among the Latter-day Saints, but also that he would direct the work to the four corners of the earth to gather all of Israel, to establish new Jerusalem, and also to build old Jerusalem again as a holy city in final preparation for the return of Jesus Christ in his glory. Verse 7, thus says Jehovah the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, to him whom is despised as a person, who is abhorred by his nation, a servant to those in authority, kings shall rise up when they see you, princes shall prostrate themselves, because Jehovah keeps faith with you, because the Holy One of Israel has chosen you. Or in other words, there is no mortal on the face of the earth at a higher ascension level than is the Lord's end time servant. And the Lord will direct all of his end time work through his end time servant. And many who are on the path of ascension will come to him. He will find them and they will work the work of the mighty God under his direction. And in fact, the kings and queens of the Gentiles, um, the kings and priests, queens and priestesses will be sent out to the four corners of the earth once New Jerusalem is established to accomplish the work of the gathering out of Israel from the four corners of the earth. Thus says Jehovah, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, to him who is despised as a person, who is abhorred by his nation, a servant to those in authority, kings, spiritually speaking, shall rise up when they see you, princes shall prostrate themselves, because Jehovah keeps faith with you, because the Holy One of Israel has chosen you. Thus says Jehovah, at a favorable time, I have answered you. In the day of salvation, I have come to your aid. I have created you and appointed you to be a covenant of the people, to restore the land and reapportion the desolate estates. Now, this is interesting, to be a covenant of the people. Now, what is this covenant? Well, it's the new and everlasting covenant. It's the very covenant that we read about in DNC 84, that the Latter-day Saints rejected during Joseph Smith's first ministry, but which the strength of the Lord's house among Latter-day Saints will receive during the second ministry. Verse 54 in DNC 84. And your minds in time past have been darkened because of unbelief and because you have treated lightly the things that you have received, which vanity and unbelief have brought the whole church under condemnation. And this condemnation resteth upon the children of Zion, even all. And they shall remain under this condemnation until they repent and remember the new covenant, even in the Book of Mormon. And the former commandments which I have given them, not only to say, but to do according to that which I have written. 
that they may bring forth fruit meat for their father's kingdom. Otherwise, there remaineth a scourge and judgment to be poured out upon the children of Zion. Now, this is equally applicable to the Latter-day Saints in his first ministry as his second ministry. For the Lord called him forth to establish the new and everlasting covenant, which new and everlasting covenant is described in DNC chapter 22. Starting with the chapter summary. Baptism is a new and everlasting covenant. Authoritative baptism is required. Behold, I say unto you that all old covenants have I caused to be done away in this thing. And this is a new and an everlasting covenant, even that which was from the beginning, or even that which was established with Adam, the new and everlasting covenant of repenting, being baptized by water, offering up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, thus becoming sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, and qualifying to receive that level of revelation in the heavens whereby we might be instructed about how to part the veil and enter into the rest of the Lord. Wherefore, although a man should be baptized a hundred times, it availeth him nothing. You cannot enter at the straight gate by the law of Moses, neither by your dead works. For it is because of your dead works that I have caused that this last covenant and this church to be built up unto me even in the last days of old. Wherefore, enter ye in at the gate. And as we've gone through before, First um, Nephi, or Second Nephi chapter 31, establishes that entering in by the gate is repentance, baptism of water, and baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we as Latter-day Saints must realize that we did not receive the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost when we were confirmed a member of the church. In fact, most of us, most of our lives, it wasn't even possible because to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost requires an open dispensation, a dispensation of the fullness of the gospel, as we read back in DNC 84. Verse 21. And without the ordinances thereof, the ordinances that pertain to, in verse 19, this greater priesthood administereth the gospel. This is talking about the fullness of the gospel, the terrestrial order, the church of Christ. And holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. Okay, so without the ordinances thereof, referring to the ordinance of baptism by water and fire and the Holy Ghost, and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. And as we've read many times, the power of godliness manifest to men in the flesh is the reception of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. This is the new and everlasting covenant. And the end time servant, both in his first and second ministries, is sent forth to establish the new and everlasting covenant because there are those of God's people who are ready to receive it. And we have a greater portion were ready to receive during his second ministry than during his first. Continuing in Isaiah 49, verse 8. Thus says Jehovah, at a favorable time I have answered you. In the day of salvation I have come to your aid. Or in the day in which Christ is going to redeem his people. 
And that day is the day when the light breaks forth among them that sit in darkness. And it is the fullness of his gospel. This is the day of the Gentiles coming in. We go to DNC 45. Verse 28. And when the time of the Gentiles is come in. Referring to Joseph Smith's second ministry. A light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, and it shall be the fullness of my gospel. Now, it's important to understand that this light breaking forth among them that sit in darkness happens before the end time servant comes on the scene. Because he opens again the heavens before he comes on the scene. And he has again opened the heavens, but he has not yet come on the scene. Verse 29, speaking of the members of the church collectively, but not individually. But they receive it not, for they perceive not the light, and they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. And in that generation shall the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Or in the same generation in which the times of the Gentiles comes in, it shall also be fulfilled, which was not during Joseph Smith's first ministry. So thus says Jehovah at a favorable time, back to Isaiah 49, verse 8. I have answered you in the day of salvation. The day of salvation is the that time when the fullness of the gospel would break forth among them that sit in darkness. We are in that day of salvation right now. I have come to your aid. I have created you and appointed you to be a covenant, or in other words, to restore the new and everlasting covenant to my people, which can only happen with the restoration of Melchizedek priesthood authority. To restore the land and reapportion the desolate estates. Now, although we have come into spiritual bondage, there is a physical bondage that is yet to come and is quickly approaching upon us. And the light breaking forth among them that sit in darkness, the spiritual gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house, which has already commenced, is the delivering God's people from spiritual bondage. And Joseph not only opened the heavens that we might be delivered from spiritual bondage, but also will be coming on the scene to deliver us from physical bondage. To say to the captives, come forth, and to those in darkness, show yourselves. All right, again, those in darkness. DNC 45, verse 29. Verse 28, and when the time of the Gentiles is come in, a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, and it shall be the fullness of my gospel. So again, in verse 9 of Isaiah 49, to say to the captives, come forth among those who sit in darkness, and to those in darkness, show yourselves, or come unto the fullness of the gospel. Repent and offer up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit that you might become a son or daughter of Christ through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. They shall feed along the way and find pastures on all barren heights. A direct reference to the end time exodus that Joseph will lead. They shall not hunger or thirst, nor be smitten by the heat wave or the sun. He who has mercy on them will guide them. He will lead them by springs of water. All my mountain ranges, I will appoint as roads. My highways shall be on high. Again, referring to the 
main exodus that starts in the beginning. And then there will be many exoduses from every point on the earth where a humble follower of Christ resides who is willing to enter into full covenant with their God. Now, Isaiah 42, verses 19 through 22, and we're actually going to read the Joseph Smith translation of these verses. For I will send my servant unto you who are blind, or as DNC 45 says, those who sit in darkness. Yea, a messenger to open the eyes of the blind and unstop the ears of the deaf, and they shall be made perfect notwithstanding their blindness, if they will hearken unto the messenger, the Lord's servant. Now as a cross-reference, 2 Nephi 28. The very last verse. Woe be unto the Latter-day Saint Gentiles, saith the Lord God of hosts. For notwithstanding, I shall lengthen out mine arm unto them from day to day. Or the Lord's end time servant from day to day means in both a first and second ministry. They will deny me. And that's why we're reading that the end time servant was discouraged because his first ministry ended in the people to whom he was called to minister to rejecting their Lord and God. But he would be given a second opportunity to return before the second coming of Jesus Christ, to finish the restoration, and this time find a people who are ready to enter into covenant with their God at a higher level, a level sufficient that they might enter into the rest of the Lord. So woe be unto the Gentiles, the Lord God of hosts, for notwithstanding I shall lengthen out mine arm unto them from day to day, they will deny me. Nevertheless, saith the Lord God, if they will repent and come unto me. For my arm is lengthened out all the day long, saith the Lord God of hosts. This is the exact same sentiment as being expressed here in JST Isaiah 42, verses 19 and 20. For I will send my servant unto you who are blind, ye a messenger to open the eyes of the blind and unstop the ears of the deaf. And they shall be made perfect, notwithstanding their blindness, if they will hearken unto the messenger, the Lord's servant. Thou art a people, seeing many things, but thou observest not, opening the ears to hear, but thou hearest not. The Lord is not well pleased with such a people. And, you know, that's why we read in DNC 45 that when the light breaks forth among them that sit in darkness as the phones of the gospel, but they receive it not. Isaiah 42, verse 22. The Lord is not well pleased with such a people, but for his righteousness sake, he will magnify the law and make it honorable. Or for the sake of those among the Latter-day Saints, the 1% who are willing to enter into covenant with their God, the Lord sends his servant. Thou art a people robbed and spoiled, 
thine enemies, all of them, have snared thee in holes and have laid hid thee in prison houses. They have taken thee for a prey and none delivereth for a spoil and none saith restore. Or in other words, um, after the martyrdom of Joseph Smith, the doctrine of Christ was removed from the mainstream teachings of the church. And the new and everlasting covenant sent forth or set forth in Doctrine and Covenant section 22. Even repentance, baptism of water, and fire in the Holy Ghost was replaced by Brigham Young with plural marriage. And this changing the definition of the doctrine of Christ and the new and everlasting covenant is how the leaders who came after Joseph Smith robbed and spoiled, as it says in JST Isaiah 42, thine enemies, all of them have snared thee in holes and have laid hid thee in prison houses. They have taken thee for a prey and none delivereth for a spoil and none saith restore. Now Nephi is talking about the exact same thing in First Nephi chapter 14. Verse 1, and it shall come to pass that if the Gentiles or the Latter-day Saints shall hearken unto the Lamb of God in that day, that he shall manifest himself unto them in word and also in power and very deed unto the taking away of their stumbling blocks. Well, what are the stumbling blocks of the Latter-day Saints? Well, we don't even know that we haven't received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. We don't even know what it means to offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit or that that is the requirement. We don't even know that once we have, that Christ will plead our case before Father. And once he's received permission from Father to adopt us as sons or daughters, and we receive that ordinance, which is the endowment of power, then we have permission to be instructed about how to part the veil and enter into the rest of the Lord in this life, not the next life. Because of the opportunity of God's people in every generation, in which the fullness of the gospel is on the earth to enter into his rest, which is more than to see him in vision, which is more even than to have Christ come down here and visit us on this earth, like he did to his 12 apostles after his resurrection and to the Nephites in 1 Nephi chapter 11 and to many other peoples across the earth. But it is to have an ascension experience like Moses had where we ascend to the high mountain, but not the earthly mountain, the heavenly mountain, or what Enoch and Isaiah call the seventh heaven, that place in the heavens where Christ reigns in the fullness of his glory. For this is the opportunity and the invitation of God's people in every generation in which the fullness of the gospel is on the earth exactly as is declared in DNC 84. Verse 23. Now this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. But they hardened their hearts and could not endure his presence. Therefore the Lord in his wrath for his anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into his rest while in the wilderness, which rest is the fullness of his glory. And the question is, will we do the very same thing that the children of Israel did before us, that the Latter-day Saints did before us? Will we also reject our God and thus qualify for destruction? Or have we sufficiently learned 
and are willing to humble ourselves before our God our, our, and our maker and enter into the covenant which he extends to us, that we might become his people and that he might become our God. Now, let's also cross-reference in Joel chapter 2. Okay, Joel 2, verses 28 through 32. And this reference is found also in Joseph Smith history, 1, verse 41. And it shall come to pass. So this is one of the scriptures that Moroni quoted to Joseph that night that he appeared to him three times and an additional time on the next morning. And all of the scriptures that Moroni quoted to Joseph Smith, were about the end-time servant, the destruction of the world in the end times by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house, the end-time exodus, and establishing New Jerusalem. And why would all of the scriptures that Moroni quoted to Joseph Smith on that night and that morning pertain to the Davidic servant and his work and the destruction of the world? It's because it was foreshadowing to Joseph Smith that this first ministry was only a time of preparation that would qualify him to return before the second coming of Jesus Christ to complete the mission that God had given him. And it shall come to pass that afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now. This is specifically referring to the time in the last days when the time of the Gentiles would come in and a light should break forth among them that sit in darkness and it should be the fullness of the gospel. And that my spirit poured out upon all flesh, that every man, every woman who enters into covenant with their God while on the exodus will have the opportunity of receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, if they did not receive it directly beforehand. And your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Now, as cross-reference in 2 Nephi 31, one of the signs that is given of a man or woman who has received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, is that they can then speak with the tongue of angels or by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. Second Nephi 31, the last half of verse 13. Then shall you receive the Holy Ghost. Yea, then cometh the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, and then can ye speak with the tongue of angels and shout praises unto the Holy One of Israel. This means the exact same thing as when King Benjamin's people were receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of, baptism of the Holy Ghost in Mosiah chapters 4 and 5. Starting in verse 2 of Mosiah 5. And they all cried with one voice, saying, Yea, we believe all the words which thou hast spoken unto us. 
We also know, and also we know with assurity and truth, because of the spirit of the Lord omnipotent, which has wrought a mighty change in us or in our hearts, that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. And we ourselves also through the infinite goodness of God and the manifestations of his spirit have great views of that which is to come and were it expedient, we could prophesy of all things. Or in other words, they could speak with the tongue of angels. Or in other words, back to Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass that afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. <laughs> and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. And it shall come to pass. And verse 31. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on his name, shall call on the name of the Lord, shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So, Verse 32 again, and it shall come to pass that whoever, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Okay. This deliverance talked about in first Nephi chapter 14 in verses one and two, that the Latter-day Saints, those who will receive the Lord will have the stumbling blocks of the removal of the doctrine of Christ and, and therefore the possibility to be instructed about how to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And not only having that knowledge removed, but actually not having an open dispensation on the earth. So it not being actually possible to receive it. the heavens are open. A light breaks forth. Both knowledge and opportunity are presented this is what is being talked about in verse 32 of Joel. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered, both spiritually and temporally. For in Mount Zion, and what is Mount Zion? Let's go to DNC 84. Verse 2. Yea, the word of the Lord concerning his church established in the last days for the restoration of his people. Now, this is talking not only about Joseph Smith's first ministry, which laid the foundation for this revelation, but this is specifically talking about his second ministry. For the restoration of his people. Well, why do they have to be restored? Because they lost the fullness of the gospel during Joseph's first ministry. It's restored during the second. As he has spoken by the mouth of his prophets, and for the gathering of his saints to stand upon Mount Zion, which shall be the city of New Jerusalem, which city shall be built beginning at the temple lot, 
which is appointed by the finger of the Lord in the western boundaries of the state of Missouri and dedicated by the hand of Joseph Smith Jr. and others with whom the Lord was well pleased. So back to Joel chapter 2, verse 32. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered for a Mount Zion, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. So this deliverance by calling upon the name of the Lord has a clear end time context when New Jerusalem and Old Jerusalem would be established as twin holy cities. And this calling upon the name of the Lord means the same thing as receiving Christ. In 3 Nephi chapter 9. Verse 17, and as many as have received me, this, this phrase means the exact same thing as in Joel, as many as shall call on the name of the Lord. To them have I given to become the sons of God. And Christ himself defines what it means to receive him. Verse 20, and ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Now let's cross-reference. DNC section 90. Verses 9 through 11. That through your administration, they may receive the word. This is the administration of Joseph Smith. And as some context, verse 8, that thereby they may be perfected in their ministry for the salvation of Zion and of the nations of Israel and of the Gentiles, as many as will believe. That the word of the Lord may go forth unto the ends of the earth. This is Joseph Smith's second ministry. Unto the Gentiles first, meaning first to the Latter-day Saints, then to the Gentile nation, then the establishment of New Jerusalem, and then to the rest of the world. Unto the Gentiles first, and then behold and lo, they shall turn unto the Jews. For once New Jerusalem is established, there will be servants sent to divide the wheat and the tares from among the Jews. And to assist the wheat among the Jews to establish old Jerusalem again as a holy city. And then cometh a day when the arm of the Lord shall be revealed in power. In convincing the nations, the heathen nations, the house of Joseph, of the gospel of their salvation. So, once the Jews have been gathered again, the forms of the gospel can then go to the heathen nations. For it shall come to pass in that day that every man shall hear the forms of the gospel in his own tongue. And every man, meaning every man who qualifies for deliverance from destruction. And in his own language, through those who are ordained unto this power, by the administration of the comforter, shed forth upon them for the revelation of Jesus Christ. Or those men who have been endowed with power 
both the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and also have been ordained and sealed to the Melchizedek priesthood, will, just like on the day of Pentecost to the 12 apostles, be given that gift of tongues that every man that they are sent to throughout the world may hear the fullness of the gospel in their own language. And let's also cross-reference JST Genesis 50. Regarding the end-time servants, starting in verse 30. And again, a seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins. Here the Lord is speaking to Joseph in Egypt. So a seer out of the loins of Joseph in Egypt. And unto him will I give power to bring forth my word unto the seed of thy loins. So unto Ephraim and unto Manasseh. And not to the bringing forth of my word only, saith the Lord, which happened during Joseph Smith's first ministry. But to the convincing them of my word, referring to Joseph Smith's second ministry, which shall have already gone forth among them in the last days. Wherefore, the fruit of thy loins of Joseph shall write, and the fruit of the loins of Judah shall write. And that which shall be written by the fruit of thy loins, and also that which shall be written by the fruit of the loins of Judah, shall grow together unto the confounding of false doctrines, and the laying down of contentions, and establishing peace among the fruit of thy loins, and bringing them to a knowledge of their fathers in the latter days, also the knowledge of my covenant, saith the Lord. Now, Joseph Smith, or uh, Nephi, talks about this very same future event. In First Nephi chapter 13, in his vision of the end from the beginning. Verse 39. And after it had come forth unto them, or the record of the Book of Mormon to the Lamanites, I beheld other books which came forth by the power, or actually... The book that had gone forth was the, the New Testament. And after it had come forth unto them, I beheld other books. So this is the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants. And when do these other books go forth? That's at the beginning of the Exodus, when the fullness of the gospel is taken to the Lamanites. And not only the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants, but also the record of the prophets, the translation of the brass plates, and also the record of the 12 apostles, or the full translation of the New Testament. Which came forth by the power of the Lamb from the Gentiles unto them, unto the convincing them. Okay, remember that term in JST Genesis 50, in Joseph Smith's second ministry, uh, he is, his job will be to convince the people of the word that shall have already gone forth among them because of his first ministry. To the convincing of the Gentiles and the remnant of the seed of my brethren, and also the Jews who were scattered upon all the face of the earth, that the records of the prophets and of the twelve apostles of the Lamb are true. Which records Joseph Smith will bring with him, having just finished their translation. Going back to JST. Genesis 50, 
So continuing in verse 31. Wherefore the fruit of thy loins shall write, and the fruit of the loins of Judah shall write. And that which shall be written by the fruit of thy loins, and also that which shall be written by the fruit of the loins of Judah, shall grow together unto the confounding of false doctrines and the laying down of contentions, and establishing peace among the fruit of thy loins, and bringing them to a knowledge of their fathers in the latter days, and also to the knowledge of my covenants, which the Lord or saith the Lord, and out of weakness shall he be made strong in that day when my work shall go forth among all my people, which shall restore them who are of the house of Israel in the last days. And that seer will I bless, and they that seek to destroy him shall be confounded, um, which wasn't Joseph Smith's first ministry. For this promise I give unto you, for I will remember you from generation to generation. And his name shall be called Joseph, and it shall be after the name of his father. And he shall be like unto you, Joseph in Egypt. For the thing which the Lord shall bring forth by his hand shall bring my people unto salvation. So just as the Lord used Joseph in Egypt to save his family, the house of Israel, so will the Lord use Joseph Smith in his second ministry to save the tribe of Jacob in the last days and to gather them out from the four corners of the earth and lead them on exoduses to establish both old and new Jerusalems. And Lehi, quoting this prophecy, which he had in the brass plates, quotes part of this prophecy in 2 Nephi chapter 3. So 2 Nephi chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. But a seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins. This is Lehi quoting Joseph in Egypt. And he's relating this prophecy to his son, Joseph. The Lord speaking to Joseph in Egypt, but a seer I will raise up out of the fruit of thy loins. And unto him will I give power to bring forth my word unto the seed of thy loins. And not to the bringing forth of my word only, saith the Lord, but to the convincing them of my word, which shall have already gone forth among them. And there are, there are many who are not aware of the prophecy in JST Genesis 50 and who have not quite read 2 Nephi 3 carefully enough, who think that Lehi is giving a prophecy of his own to his son Joseph when in actuality, because his son is named Joseph, um, he is reading the prophecy contained in the brass plate, which was given by the Lord to Joseph in Egypt to his son, Joseph. About the end time servant who would bring the fullness of the gospel to the seed of Lehi, who survived in the last days. Verse 12. Wherefore, the fruit of thy loins shall write and the fruit of the loins of Judah shall write. And that which shall be written by the fruit of thy loins, and also that which shall be written by the fruit of the loins of Judah, 
shall grow together unto the confounding of false doctrines and laying down of contentions and establishing peace among the fruit of thy loins and the bringing them to the knowledge of their fathers in the latter days and also to the knowledge of my covenant saith the Lord. And one of those records of the loins of Joseph in Egypt would in fact be the Book of Mormon, which would not only be written by the seed of Manasseh, but then would be translated by the seeds of Ephraim and would be used to not only reclaim Manasseh, but also all of the house of Israel. Now back to Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 2, like a sapling, he grew up in his presence, a stock out of arid ground. He had no distinguished appearance that we should notice him. He had no pleasing aspect that we should find him attractive. And then comparing that with the King James translation. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now, this is talking about the Lord's end time servant. And ultimately, Christ is the ultimate archetype of the end time servant. Let's cross-reference Second uh, Nephi 21, which is quoting Isaiah chapter 11. Starting in verse 1. Verses 1 through 5. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. And the righteous shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Now, who is being spoken of? Who is this rod to come forth out of the stem of Jesse? And then we have a second individual, and a branch shall grow forth out of his roots. So both the rod and the roots are two individuals that will come forth in the end times. And if we go to DNC 113.
the Lord gives us a revelation on the identity. Verse 1. Who is the stem of Jesse spoken of in the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth verses of the 11th chapter of Isaiah? Verily, thus saith the Lord, it is Christ. What is the rod spoken of in the first verse of the 11th chapter of Isaiah that should come out of the stem of Jesse? Behold, thus saith the Lord, it is a servant in the hands of Christ, who is partly descended of Jesse, as well as of Ephraim, or of the house of Joseph, on whom there is laid much power. So, in verse 4, we've defined the house of Joseph, um, which is out of Ephraim. Now, this is Joseph Smith in his first ministry, and his patriarchal blessing given by his father, you know, declared that he was both of the tribe of Judah through his mother, specifically Christ and Mary, and also Ephraim through his father. And so verse four, this rod that comes forth out of the stem of Jesse is Joseph Smith in his first ministry. And then verse five, what is the root of Jesse spoken of in the 10th verse of the 11th chapter? Behold, thus saith the Lord, it is a descendant of Jesse as well as of Joseph. And remember, in verse 4, this is defined as the house of Ephraim. Unto whom rightly belongs the priesthood and keys of the kingdom, for an ensign and for the gathering of my people in the last days. All right, an ensign um, in this context is an Isaiah metaphor for the Lord's end time servant. And that Joseph in his second ministry, being distinguished as the root of Jesse, would come forth and would be the ensign to whom the priesthood rightly belongs. For we know that the keys were given to Joseph and would not be taken from him in that life during his first ministry or in the next life. And that he would come back to exercise them in gathering out Israel. Now let's trace these metaphors in Isaiah chapter 11. Okay, so going back. To verse 1 of section 113. Who is the stem of Jesse spoken of in the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth verses of Isaiah 11? Well, let's read the first, second, third, and um, fourth, and fifth verses, keeping in mind that this stem of Jesse being talked about is Christ, and that the rod spoken of is Joseph Smith in his first ministry, and the root of Jesse is Joseph Smith in his second ministry. And there shall come forth a rod, Joseph Smith in his first ministry, out of the stem of Jesse, Christ, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Okay, his roots is Joseph Smith in his second ministry. The branch that shall grow forth are all of those who will during this time when light breaks forth among them that sit in darkness, receive the light 
enter into covenant and therefore be gathered and spared not only destruction, but bondage of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon in the last day. Continuing in verse two, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This has, you know, application to both Joseph in his first and second ministries and the coming of Christ himself. And he shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Also, um, Christ is the grand archetype and the end time servant is patterned after Christ, the end-time archetype. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall slay the wicked. Now remember, the rod that grows forth out of the stem of Jesse is Joseph. Um, so this having reference also both to Christ himself and also to the end time servant. Um, but specifically in verse four, um, judging the poor, reproving with equity for the meek, smiting the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, slaying the wicked. This mostly has reference to Joseph Smith's second ministry. And as a cross reference, if we go to Helaman 10, where we see another servant, Nephi, the brother of Lehi, who also is given the sealing power, or in other words, has the second order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon him. Now, listen to his responsibility, and let's compare it with uh, the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4. Verse 6 in Helaman 10. Behold, thou art Nephi, and I am God. And again, this is the calling of God's own voice unto the sealing of the second order of Melchizedek priesthood. And that is the order established in JST Genesis 14 regarding the sealing of this priesthood. Behold, I declare it unto thee in the presence of mine angels that ye shall have power over this people and shall smite the earth with famine and with pestilence and destruction according to the wickedness of this people. And now behold, verse 11, I command you that ye shall go and declare unto this people that thus saith the Lord God, who is almighty, except ye repent, ye shall be smitten even unto destruction. Okay, verse four again in Isaiah 11. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor. You know, righteousness being a metaphor for the Lord's right and time servant. And reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness, the girdle of his reins. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. Okay, New Jerusalem end time context. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together with the little child shall lead them. This little child leading them here Animals represent people, both of the blood 
covenant line of Israel and also the Gentiles and even the heathen nations who will embrace the doctrine of Christ, not only with their lips, but also with their hearts. And because they have hearkened unto that portion of the light of Christ that they have access to qualifying for deliverance from destruction and thus to receive the fullness of the gospel and then have the opportunity to reject or accept it. And those who accept are gathered out of bondage, let on the end time exodus to participate in New Jerusalem. And the metaphor in Isaiah verse 6 is the end time servant is the little child who shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones, shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, the day of the Lord, the day in which the fullness of the times of the Gentiles comes in, and in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse. This is Joseph in his second ministry, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Or in other words, this ensign, the end time servant, will restore the fullness of the gospel. And so it will be possible because they will be extended the invitation to enter into the Lord's rest, you know, specifically on the end time exodus. And it shall come to pass that in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time, Joseph Smith's second ministry, to recover the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Alam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth via his end time servants. And verses 15 and 16. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river and shall smite it even the seven streams and shall make men go over on dry shod. So, you know, Moses is one of the metaphors for the end time servant. The Egyptians, uh, the American citizens. the parting of the Red Sea that the children of Israel might cross. Again, a metaphor that the redemption of Zion comes through an end-time exodus. And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, like it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. So exactly as is outlined in DNC 103, that the redemption of Zion shall be just like the establishment of Zion by Moses in the days of the children of Israel when he led them on an exodus. In fact, DNC 103, verse 15. Behold, I say unto you, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. 
Therefore, I will raise up unto my people a man who shall lead them like as Moses led the children of Israel. For ye are the children of Israel and the seed of Abraham. Ye must needs be led out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm. Isaiah metaphors for the Lord's end time servant. And as your fathers were led at first, even so shall the redemption of Zion be. So this end time Exodus imagery is throughout the Book of Mormon. It's throughout the Old and New Testaments. It's throughout the Doctrine and Covenants. We just haven't ever connected the dots before and seen it. So. Back to Isaiah 53. Again, verse 2, out of the King James. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Back to the Isaiah Institute translation. He was despised and disdained by men, a man of grief accustomed to suffering. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was shunned, deemed by us of no merit. So, again, we have the parallel of the Lord himself being the grand archetype for his end time servant. And verse four, yet he bore our sufferings, endured our griefs. Though we thought him stricken, smitten of God, and humbled. Let's cross reference Luke twenty two forty four. Now, talking about Christ in the garden. And again, juxtapositioning this with. He was despised and disdained by men, a man of Greece accustomed to suffering as one from whom men hid their faces. He was shunned, deemed by us of no merit. Yet he bore our sufferings, endured our griefs. Though we thought him stricken, smitten of God and humbled. Starting in verse 39. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou wilt, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven and strengthened him. And being thus in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And from the JST, and he sweat as it were great drops of blood, which fell down to the ground. He was despised and disdained by men, 
a man of grief accustomed to suffering, as one from whom men hid their faces. He was shunned, deemed by us of no merit, yet he bore our sufferings, endured our griefs, though we thought him stricken, smitten of God, and humble. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities, the price of our peace he incurred, and with his wounds we are healed. We like all we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us headed his own way. Jehovah brought together upon him the iniquity of us all. Okay, now. Sometimes in the Old Testament, the term Jehovah refers to God the Father, sometimes to Jesus Christ. In Isaiah, Jehovah usually refers to Christ, but in some cases refers to God the Father. Um, as we will look into the dedicatory prayer of, Kurt, of the Kirtland Temple, um, Joseph on several occasions referred to referred to Heavenly Father as Jehovah. But let's first go to DNC 121 regarding the suffering of Christ. And the opportunity that we have to repent and return. That we might not have to suffer as he suffered. DNC 121 verses 1 through 6. Here are the pleadings of Joseph Smith to the Lord on behalf of his people. Oh God, where art thou? And where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? How long shall thy hand be stayed, and thine eye, yea, thy pure eye? Behold from the eternal heavens the wrongs of thy people, and of thy servants, and thine ear be penetrated with their cries. Yea, O Lord, how long shall they suffer these wrongs and unlawful oppressions, before thine heart shall be softened toward them, and thy bowels be moved with compassion toward them? O Lord God, almighty maker of heaven, earth, and seas, and of all things that are in them, that in them are, and who control us and subject us to the devil and the dark and the benighted domain of Sheol, stretch forth thine hand, let thine eye pierce, let thy pavilion be taken up, let thy hiding place no longer be covered, let thine ear be inclined, let thine heart be softened, and thy bowels be moved with compassion toward us. Let thine anger be kindled against our enemies, and in the fury of thine heart, with thy sword avenge us of our wrongs. Remember thy suffering saints, O our God, and thy servants will rejoice in thy name forever. Now, verses 7 to 27 are the Lord's answer. My son, peace be unto thy soul. Thine adversity and thine inflictions be but a small moment, and then if thou endure it well, God shall exalt thee on high. Thou shalt triumph over all thy foes. 
thy friends do stand by thee, and they shall hail thee again with warm hearts and thy and friendly hands. Thou art not yet as Job. Thy friends do not contend against thee, neither charge thee with transgression as they did Job. And they who do charge thee with transgression, their hope shall be blasted, and their prospects shall melt away as the hoarfrost melteth before the burning rays of the rising sun. And also that God hath set his hand and seal to change the times and seasons and to blind their minds that they may not understand the marvelous workings that he may prove them also and take them in their own craftiness and also because their hearts are corrupted and the things which they are willing to bring upon others and the love of others and love to have others suffer may come upon themselves to the very uttermost that they may be disappointed also and their hopes may be cut off and not many years hence, that they and their posterity shall be swept from under heaven, saith God, and not one of them left to stand by the wall. The fulfillment of this prophecy is will be accomplished in our generation. Cursed are all those that shall lift up the heel against mine anointed, saith the Lord, and cry that they have sinned when they have not sinned before me saith the Lord, but have done that which was meet in mine eyes, and which I commanded them. But those who try transgression do it because they are the servants of sin, and are the children of disobedience themselves. And those who swear falsely against my servants, that they might bring them into bondage and unto death. Woe unto them, because they have offended my little ones. They shall be severed from the ordinances of my house. Their basket shall not be full. Their houses and their barns shall perish. They themselves shall be despised by those that flattered them. They shall not have right to the priesthood nor their posterity after them from generation to generation. It had been better for them that a millstone had been hanged about their necks and they drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto all those that discomfort my people and drive and murder and testify against them, saith the Lord of hosts. A generation of vipers shall not escape the damnation of hell. Behold, mine eyes see and know all their works, and I have in reserve a swift judgment in the season thereof for them all. For there is a time appointed for every man according to his works shall be. God shall give unto you knowledge by his spirit, by his Holy Spirit. Yea, by the unspeakable gift of the Holy Ghost, that there has not been revealed since the world was until now, which our forefathers have awaited with anxious expectation to be revealed in the last times, which their minds were pointed to by the angels as held in reserve for the fullness of their glory. A time to come in which nothing shall be withheld, whether there be one God or many gods, they shall be manifest. All thrones and dominions, principalities and powers shall be revealed and set forth upon all those who have endured valiantly for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And also, if there are bounds set to the heavens or to the seas or to the dry land or to the sun or the moon or the stars. All the times of the revolutions, all the appointed days, months and years and all the days of their days, months and years and all their glories, laws, set times shall be revealed in the days of the dispensation of the fullness of times, which was not ushered in during Joseph Smith's first ministry, 
however it is ushered in during his second. According to that which was ordained in the midst of the council of the eternal God, of all other gods before this world was, that should be reserved unto the finishing and the end thereof, when every man shall enter into his eternal presence and into his immortal rest, or at least every man and every woman who truly desires it, this will be their privilege on the end time exodus. And as a cross-reference to the fulfillment of this prophecy in Ether chapter 4, verse 4, Behold, I have written upon these plates the very things which the brother of Jared saw. And there never were greater things made manifest than those which were made manifest unto the brother of Jared. Wherefore the Lord hath commanded me to write them. And I have written them, and he commandeth me that I should seal them up. And he also hath commanded me that I should seal up the interpretation thereof. Wherefore I have sealed up the interpreters according to the commandments of the Lord. And the Lord said unto me, they shall not go forth. Or the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon shall not go forth unto the Gentiles or unto the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints until the day that they shall repent of their iniquity. Well, this day of the repenting of their iniquity is the day in which the light breaks forth among them that sit in darkness, and it is the fullness of the gospel. Those who receive the doctrine of Christ, not only with their lips, but also their hearts. Enter into the new and everlasting covenant. Receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then on the end time, Exodus will enter into the rest of the Lord. These are they who will receive the record of the brother of Jared, the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon. And just as Lehi's dream acted as a catalyst for Nephi, who desired to see and to hear and to know these things for himself. So will the coming forth of the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon to those who have entered into the rest of the Lord act as a catalyst for some that they might also have the vision of all things, the end from the beginning. And this is what we're reading in verse 7. And in that day that they shall exercise faith in me, saith the Lord, even as the brother of Jared did. And exercising faith in him means seeking after receiving and acting on revelation to the same degree that the brother of Jared did, that they may become sanctified in me. Then will I manifest unto them the things which the brother of Jared saw, even to the unfolding unto them of all my revelation, saith Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven, the Father of the heavens and of the earth and all things that in them are. But now going back to our cross-reference to Isaiah 53, which we started in Doctrine and Covenants 121. Let's now go to Doctrine and Covenants 122. Verses 4 through 9. And although their influence Influence shall cast thee into trouble and into bars and walls. Thou shalt be thou shalt be had in honor, and but for a small moment, and thy voice shall be more terrible in the midst of thine enemies than the fierce lion. 
because of thy righteousness, and thy God shall stand by thee forever and ever. This is a prophecy about Joseph Smith in his second ministry. If thou art called to pass through tribulation, which thou wilt in thy first ministry, and if thou art in perils among false brethren, and if thou art in perils among robbers, if thou art in perils by land or by sea, if thou art accursed with all manner of false accusations, if thine enemy shall fall upon thee, if they tear thee from the society of thy father and thy mother and brethren and sisters, and if with a drawn sword thine enemies tear thee from the bosom of thy wife and thine offspring and thine elder son, although but six years of age, shall cling to thy garments and shall say, my father, my father, why can't you stay with us? Oh, my father, what are the men going to do with you? And if then he shall be thrust from thee by the sword, and thou be dragged to prison, and thine enemies prowl around thee like wolves for the blood of the lamb. If thou should be cast into the pit or into the hands of murderers, and the sentence of death passed upon thee, if thou be cast into the deep, if the billowing surge conspire against thee, if fierce winds become thine enemy, if the heavens gather blackness and all elements combine to hedge up the way, and above all, if the very jaws of hell shall gape open the mouth white after thee, Know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. And parenthetically speaking, it was required that you might be prepared for your second ministry to be my servant, to prepare the way before me. Verse eight, and the son of man hath descended below them all. Art thou greater than he? Therefore hold the way. And the priesthood shall remain with thee. For their bounds are set, they cannot pass. Thy days are known, and thy years shall not be numbered less. Therefore fear not what man can do. For God shall be with you forever and ever. And Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all, like sheep, had gone astray. Each of us headed his own way. Jehovah brought together upon him the iniquity of us all. So just as Joseph identified himself with Israel, the people to whom he was called to minister, so he does here. We, like sheep, had gone astray. Not that Joseph, the end-time servant, went astray, but he is pleading for his people. And he is making his lot with them. We, like sheep, had all gone astray. Each of us headed his own way. Jehovah brought together upon him the iniquity of us all. He was harassed, yet submissive. Okay, now we transition from we to the end-time servant talking about Christ, he was harassed, yet submissive, and opened not his mouth, like a lamb led to slaughter, like a sheep dumb before its shears. He opened not his mouth. By arrest and trial, he was taken away. Who can appraise his generation? That he was cut off from the land of the living, for the crime of my people, to whom the blow was due. Okay, again, talking about Christ but that his end-time servant, his life, would be patterned after the life of Christ himself. 
And as Christ was led as a lamb to the slaughter, so would Joseph in his first ministry. He was appointed among the wicked in death. Among the rich was his burial. Yet he had done no violence, and deceit was not in his mouth. But Jehovah willed to crush him, cause, causing him suffering. So as I alluded to previously, that Jehovah is actually a priesthood office and title. And sometimes it refers to father, and sometimes it refers to the son. In verse 10, it is referring to father. Or in other words, but the father allowed his son to be crushed, causing him suffering. That if he made his life an offering for guilt, he might see his offspring and prolong his days. Meaning that Christ does did indeed have offspring. And one of his descendants is in fact, as we learn through Joseph Smith's patriarchal blessing, Joseph Smith himself, both in his first and in his second ministries. And Christ as Jehovah also allowed his servant to be crushed. Regarding this crushing of Christ that Father allowed, when Christ was in Gethsemane, and as he began that great intercessory prayer, where he said, Father, I pray not for the world, but I pray for those whom thou hast given me out of the world, that they might be one for with us. And who is it that Father has given Christ out of the world, those who would become his sons and daughters and had become his sons and daughters by offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then he said, Father, I saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, in vision, the earth upon which you were a savior. And I saw that moment when you were nailed to your cross and your father withdrew his spirit from you. And I saw the horrors of your Gethsemane return in full weight and measure upon you. And that you cried out, oh, Father, this seems to be more than I can bear. And then Christ said, oh, Father, because I don't want to fail. And I cannot imagine making it through an experience which caused you, the mighty God, even the greatest of all, to cry out because of pain and say it seemed to be more than you could bear. Because, Father, I can't imagine that I could make it through something like that. Because I don't want to fail if there is another way. Let's go with that way. But if not, I will simply trust you, Father. 
And then in Gethsemane, as Christ finds himself in that cosmic olive press, literally being crushed to death, that blood came from every pore of his body. Back to Isaiah 53, verse 10. But Jehovah, where the Father willed to crush him, his son, causing him suffering. That if he made his life an offering for guilt, he might see his offspring and prolong his days. So this offspring is not only Christ's physical offspring, but also all those who would become his sons and his daughters through adoption, through the adoption ceremony of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, which power he gained through the atonement. And so while the atonement does overcome sin and death, that's only the first 25% of the atonement. The next 75% is the power that Christ gained to extend his hand to those who would become his sons and his daughters to lift them up to where he and the Father are. Or that they might become as he and as Father are. That if he made his life an offering for guilt he might see his offspring and prolong his days and that the purposes of Jehovah might prosper in his hand. Now, as a cross-reference, in DNC 109, Jehovah as Father, as Heavenly Father, So this is the Kirtland Temple dedicatory prayer. So starting out to show that Joseph Smith was indeed addressing Heavenly Father. If we read verse 4. And now we ask thee, Holy Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of thy bosom, in whose name alone salvation can be administered to the children of men, we ask thee, O Lord, to accept of this house the workmanship of the hands of us, thy servants, which thou didst command us to build. And then in verse 10, and now, Holy Father, we ask thee to assist us, thy people, with thy grace in calling our solemn assembly, that it may be done to thine honor and to thine acceptance. And in verse 14, and do thou grant, Holy Father, that all those who shall worship in this house may be taught words of wisdom out of the best books. And that they may seek learning even by study and also by faith, as thou hast said. And verse 22. And we ask thee, Holy Father, that thy servants may go forth from this house, armed with thy power. And that thy name may be upon them, and thy glory round about them, and thine angels have charge over them. And verse 24. We ask thee, Holy Father, to establish the people that... The people that shall worship and honorably hold a name and standing in this thy house to all generations and for eternity. And 29, we ask thee, Holy Father, to confound and astonish and to bring to shame and confusion all those who have spread lying reports abroad over the world against thy servants or servants, against thy servant or servants. If they will not repent when the everlasting gospel shall be proclaimed in their ears. 
And now we have the transition in verse 34 to referring to Father as Jehovah. O Jehovah, have mercy upon this people. And as all men sin, forgive the transgressions of thy people and let them be blotted out forever. In verse 42, but deliver thou, O Jehovah, we beseech thee, thy servants from their hands and cleanse them from their blood. And verse 47, again, addressing Father. We ask thee, Holy Father, to remember those who have been driven by the inhabitants of Jackson City County, Missouri, from the lands of their inheritance, and break off, O Lord, this yoke of affliction that thou that has been put upon them. And then galling Father again, Jehovah. Verse, six, verse 68, O Lord, remember thy servant Joseph Smith Jr. and all his afflictions and persecutions, how he has covenanted with Jehovah and vowed with thee, Almighty God of Jacob, and the commandments which thou hast given unto him, and that he hath sincerely striven to do thy will. So, back to Isaiah chapter 53. But Jehovah willed to crush him, causing him suffering, that if he made his life an offering for guilt, he might see his offspring and prolong his days, and that the purposes of Jehovah might prosper in his hand. And verse 11, he shall see the toil of his soul and be satisfied because of his knowledge. And by bearing their iniquities, shall my servant, the righteous one, vindicate many. I will assign him an inheritance among the great. Okay, here we have Christ talking again about his servant. And he shall divide the spoil with the mighty, because he poured out his soul unto death. And being likened unto the archetype of Christ, um, who in this term, Jehovah being the father is also talking about. So we have Jehovah, the father talking about Christ. And we have Jehovah, the son talking about the servant. I will assign him an inheritance among the great and he shall divide the spoil with the mighty because he poured out his soul unto death and was numbered with criminals. He bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So, in conclusion, I bear my witness that Jesus Christ is our Lord, our Redeemer, our King, and our Savior. That he does, in fact, live. That Joseph Smith is his servant. And that he not only came during his first ministry, but that he has also come in a second ministry. That he has, in fact, opened again the heavens a second time. That it is again possible by offering up our sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit to receive the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that we might then be instructed to enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory that destruction is speedily coming upon us, that we must repent and return, that if we will enter into covenant with our God, 
we will qualify as the strength of his house, that we will be physically delivered out of bondage when Joseph Smith will return again on the scene to deliver us from physical bondage and commence the end time exodus, which is the establishment of Zion. That once Zion is established and the end time exodus commences, the fullness of the gospel will be taken to gather the Gentile nation and the Lamanites, that the wheat from the tares might be separated among those peoples, that the tares might be destroyed, that the wheat will be gathered to the exodus and will participate in the establishment of New Jerusalem. And from New Jerusalem, the fullness of the gospel will be taken to the ends of the earth, that Israel might be gathered, that the Jews might be separated, that the righteous among them might build up again old Jerusalem into a holy city with the power of the priesthood, just as New Jerusalem will be built in final preparation for the return of Christ in his glory, and that all these things will be accomplished in this generation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.